Monsters Walk With Us contains explicit language, adult themes, violence, and may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the second part of the survivor story of Lorena Gallo. So excited to have you back again this week. I have a few very exciting announcements right off the top. We did hit $100 on the Buy Me a Red Bull link, and I have a bonus episode that I recorded. It'll be coming out at some point soon, as soon as I can get it edited. And I just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. It has been quite the ride in my life since I started the podcast and I'm really excited to let you all know that I finally have a job. I am going to be starting at the end of the month working with a really good company and I'm not quite sure what that means for the podcast just yet. I'll still be putting out episodes certainly. I'm going to be keeping the podcast running but things might slow down a little bit. I am considering maybe going to two episodes a month until I get into the groove of what my new job is going to look like but I look forward to bringing more and more content to you all in the near future and thank you so much for being a friend and continuing to tune in. I hope you enjoy what's ahead. Last week, we left off about to head into Lorena's trial with her refusing to take a plea deal based on the fact that that would impact her immigration status and bar her from being able to become an American citizen. Prepare for some hot, hot trash ahead because we have not heard the end of John Wayne Bobbitt. I hope you enjoy. Lorena's defense team is Jim Lowe, Lisa Kemmler, and Blair Howard. They're all co-chairing the trial. The prosecutors are Paul Ebert and Mary Grace O'Brien. And this prosecution is no joke. These two are seasoned lawyers, and they both have really good reputations. Blair says Lorena had told him that at John's trial, she wasn't allowed to establish the history of abuse because her testimony was limited to that night, and that was the entire case, the the history and everything that happened leading up to that night. Blair says, this time it counts. We need to get as much evidence as possible into the courtroom about the abuse because now we have the ability to mount a full defense and get everything in here that we can and we have to try our best to do it. We have another juror interviewed, this time from Lorena's trial, a guy named Kurt Gurgley. He says that he saw the publicity building larger and larger, and he wanted no part of this case, but of course, he gets selected third. The judge says, I assume everyone has heard about this case unless you live under a rock. The jury foreperson, Clay Kokalis, who is right up there with Kenneth for me by the end of this documentary, says the judge only asked them, can you keep an open mind about the facts that will be presented? So that was really the only criteria for the judge to disqualify people from this jury. The jury is selected in one day, and the trial actually starts that same afternoon. The prosecution focuses on the penis amputation, as they say in their opening argument. Paul Ebert says after the jury hears the facts, they will believe there is no justification for Lorena's actions, that she took the law into her own hands and acted out of anger or revenge, and they must find her guilty if she did. Lisa Kemmler takes the defense opening, and she says that this case is about a young, petite, delicate, and naive woman who was abused for four years. 
Lisa says that the evidence will show Lorena was a battered woman and that it was John's penis that she could not escape from. And it is important to note, Lorena is extremely, extremely petite. She is 95 pounds soaking wet at the time of this trial. She's a small lady and John is a very, very fit Marine. I don't know if anyone's ever had someone like they've dated someone that small. I did once. I was very scared of like ever accidentally hurting her because of how easy it is to like, you can literally with like three fingers push them over. It's very easy to hurt them. And like, it would be very easy for a large man to overpower someone so small. It's very obvious that John has the physical advantage. Yeah. Lisa says at the end of the case, jurors will conclude that Lorena's life was more valuable than a penis. Thank you, girl. Thank finally. Amen. Because it is. John testifies at the start of the trial, as does Cindy and the other officers, crime scene techs, EMTs who responded that morning. Jurors see all of the photos that I never wanted or needed to see, (laughs) but here I am seeing them again. Surgical shots of John's penis blown up full screen just for me. I can't see it now. I can't. There's no question about what happened. Lorena cut off John's penis. She admits it. Everybody knows it. The question is what was happening behind closed doors leading up to that. Paul Ebert says John wasn't the brightest bulb that ever burned. And there was a history of violence in the relationship. He says Lorena was a very volatile person. Again, coded racist language because she's not white. She's Latina. She must have this fiery, angry other side to her. Mm -hmm. Of course. Right, right. John testifies that he had gotten a job at this bar, Legends, a really nice bar, as he says, and he was surprised that Lorena wasn't excited for him or happy about it. He says Lorena immediately says, women are going to try to pick you up. You're going to cheat on me and I'm going to come there and spy on you. Bud, one of John's brothers, and Bud's wife, Sherry, both testify that on June 10th, 1991, they were out with Lorena and John. Sherry says out of the blue, Lorena got upset for some reason and she scratched John and started punching him. John just stood there and didn't know what to do. Sherry says Lorena never told her about abuse and she had never noticed any marks or bruises. Ladies don't just all of a sudden scratch dudes for no reason, okay? Out of nowhere just means that you don't know what happened that caused that moment to occur. Exactly. Connie James, Lorena's co-worker at the nail salon, said they'd always talk about their home lives at the shop obviously. And they had talked about what they would do if their husbands ever cheated on them. Connie cracked a joke and said, I'd probably kill him. Just kidding. I take everything and leave him. (laughs) And then she asked Lorena, well, what would you do? Lorena says, I would cut his dick off. Yeah. Because that would hurt him more than killing him. Yeah. He is that kind of dude. He's kind of that, that dude that would probably only value that about himself. Yeah. The one cop testifies about the orgasm comments Lorena had made at the hospital. There are all these different people testifying for the prosecution, and that testimony doesn't look good for her. Those are all the people they're putting on to show her intent or her premeditation or whatever. The prosecution rests, and then the defense prepares to call their witnesses. 2020 does a roundtable piece with Barbara Walters and some other male journalists, and Barbara says men and women see this very differently. Men see it as a man being mutilated in the most awful way men can imagine, and many women see it as a woman abused to such a degree that she struck out at the area that was doing her the most harm. Mm -hmm. It becomes this battle of the sexes again, men willing to tolerate and overlook and excuse sexual abuse, and women mostly believing women. Some women are happy someone finally fought back. And if you were raped or wronged or abused, of course you might want revenge on the person who hurt you. That's, I think, a pretty natural reaction. This is very much a case of, like, vindication. Lorena's lawyers start getting letters of support for her. 
One is shown in the documentary that says there are many women in the world who feel the same as you do, but they're not brave enough to do anything about it. Women start organizing. They are advocating for believing victims and women being able to fight back and defend themselves. Lorena had almost become a symbol for domestic abuse victims, but the coverage is still all about John's dick, not the abuse that Lorena had lived through. Typical. The defense opens their case with Lorena's testimony. She has to establish the background of her relationship with John. And they didn't really coach her or prepare her, according to Blair Howard. They just told her, get up there and be yourself and just tell the truth, whatever they ask you. Lorena met John in September 1988. She was in love with him very quickly. To her, he represents everything. This could be her family in the United States. This could be a start of a new wonderful life for her. When Lorena first had come to the States, she was living with a family friend, the Castro family, and she's in between the ages of the two daughters that live in the house. She becomes close friends with their aunt, Amalyn Hoyt, who says that the house was a really strict environment and the daughters loved going out. Lorena was always very quiet and very naive. It sounds like Lorena was really sheltered before coming to the States and just wasn't prepared for what that would be like. She and John meet at the Enlisted Marines Club on Quantico Base. And she finds him handsome. He's a Lance Corporal. She's impressed by him. He asks her to dance and they do. And she says he had these beautiful blue eyes and they really hit it off. John asks for her number and then they're pretty much together right away. Lorena had never dated anyone before she met John. Jana says she was completely enthralled with John. They date for 10 months before they get married. They go for pizza and ice cream, just kind of normal stuff. But Lorena's family is very strict and traditional, so they have to have a chaperone on these dates. Oh, okay, okay. Lorena was raised very religious, so they also don't believe in premarital sex. This explains why it only took them 10 months to get married. The two girls, Mercedes and Emily, did not like John from the second they met him. He loved to drink a lot out on these dates, and he never seemed to have his wallet with him. Oh, one of those dudes. Okay. On brand. Oh, I on my brand. At home. They would always call Lorena out because why are you paying for him? You paid last time. You're paying every time. Like, what's going on? Today, Lorena says maybe they saw something I didn't, but I truly didn't believe he was leaving his wallet behind on purpose. I just loved him and I made excuses. Lorena also testifies about John's behavior during their time dating. John was never violent. He never spoke badly to her. And John one night had invited her to the marine pool. They go swimming. John finds a ring at the bottom of the pool, this simple little gold ring with a bow on the top. And impromptu, when he swims up to the surface, he proposes to Lorena. Oh, how, okay. How romantic and thought out and well-planned. Yeah. Yep. Totally good. Mm -hmm. Lorena says, this has to be for real. You have to be serious about this. And John says, no, I'm serious. I really want to marry you. Lorena says, yes, and they get married. Lorena's family here in the States, her family friends that she had been living with, they can't believe it. And Lorena never goes back home again. Her parents were really happy because she married an American. And in the wedding photos, Lorena is beautiful, the most beautiful bride. And John wears his Marine uniform. And from the outside, they look really happy. Things quickly started to change after they got married. John can't keep a job. He had been working as a bouncer in this club. And after only three weeks, he loses the job. Lorena is the only one working. 
and they had bought this house when John was a Marine. The house gets foreclosed upon after John stops working because Lorena can't make the payments on her own. Lorena is paying every bill as best as she can, but ultimately she has to resort to shoplifting and she also steals $7,000 from Jana. I know. Lorena says she was in such a bad place. She is working so much trying to make ends meet and it's just never enough. There's never enough money. And Lorena later says the reason she shoplifted from Nordstrom was not for money, but because John would always tell her, you're so ugly. Your dresses are awful. I'm so embarrassed of you. And she wanted some new dresses to be pretty for him. Ooh, John, mean. I know. Mean John. I hate John. Yeah. Fuck you, dude. This sweet, sweet woman. Lorena says she was really embarrassed about the money problems, and she didn't really want to tell anyone about it. She didn't want to be judged, and she was trying to just figure it out on her own. Blair Howard says every case turns on credibility. The defense witnesses they have lined up are ready to testify to what they've seen and heard, the abuse that Lorena was experiencing. Lorena testifies about going to a club called Chelsea's with John and Todd, his brother. Lorena and John had only been married for a month. On the way home from the club, John punched Lorena. They're driving back on the highway after John has been drinking a lot at the club. Lorena says he's driving 90 miles an hour. He's zigzagging the car all over. She's terrified and she's begging him to stop. She grabs the steering wheel and he punches her full force in the chest. She can't breathe. And when she can, she starts crying. And she sees John's brother Todd is in the backseat nodding. Yeah, that seems about right for that entire family. So yeah, not surprised. Can't say I'm surprised. Lorena says she felt like this was him telling John, yeah, you did the right thing by hitting your fucking wife when they got home from the club this night john dragged lorena into the apartment and started kicking her he starts yelling i told you not to cry i hate that stop crying not too long after a police officer comes to the apartment john opens the door and his demeanor immediately changes lorena says he instantly calmed down like a switch was flipped and he's totally calm rational nice marine john the cop asks her if she has a place to go And she says no, but she ends up leaving the apartment anyway, because this is what would happen on domestic violence calls. The cops would just try to de-escalate it in the moment and like suggest they go their separate ways or take a walk. And that was it. That was the end of it. Still is a lot of the time too, unfortunately. Yes. Lorena drives to the parking lot of the nail salon and sleeps in her car. She does not tell anyone about this. She's so ashamed and embarrassed and she can't understand why the person she loves, her husband, would hit her. She is completely in shock and as is common in abusive relationships, this cycle of abuse that I've talked about before. She thinks maybe he's going to change. Maybe it's never going to happen again. Things are going to get better. They never change. They don't. And then the abuse starts to happen more regularly. And the cycle is going faster and faster. John will push her and shove her. And then he keeps becoming more and more violent. Lorena says people in the apartment saw and heard a lot of arguing when they were living there. One neighbor said he heard a lot of yelling, but it was always just John who was yelling. Yeah, oh, surprise, surprise. Because Lorena is so volatile. Again, Lorena, tiny, tiny woman. She's just 95 pounds. A few of the neighbors describe him physically intimidating her constantly. Even if they're coming back from the grocery store, Lorena is carrying all the bags alone. She's got her head hung down in front of her. And John is just kind of walking behind her with a puffed up chest, acting all macho. Sounds about right. 
Amalyn says Lorena knew she made a mistake in marrying John, but she was terrified to leave him. And Amalyn testifies about a Christmas Eve gathering at her mother's house that John and Lorena had come to. John gave Lorena a box, a present, and told her to open it in front of all of her family members. Mm. Lorena says, okay, thanks. And she puts it down beside her. John says, aren't you going to open it right now? And she does. Inside the box is a tiny, tiny bikini. Okay. Lorena gets very embarrassed and she tries to hide this behind her back because all of these male relatives, all of these close family friends are here. It feels really inappropriate for her. And John gets really angry. Lorena is on the verge of tears and she just kind of walks out of the room. John follows her, grabs her and pushes Lorena against the wall. And he's yelling at her, what's wrong with you? Like he's so angry he gave her this great gift and she's embarrassed about it. She says, John, you're hurting me. Please put me down. And he pushes her against the wall again. Amelin was sure John was about to hit Lorena. She actually stopped what she was doing and walked over there because she was just waiting for it to happen. But then John calls Lorena a bitch and just walks away. There was also these repeated reports of domestic violence. One cop says... One cop says to the media they had responded a half a dozen times to their apartment in the last few years. So some of those times were not documented is what I'm gathering from that. Yeah. John had been arrested and charged with assault and battery after he had beaten Lorena. And there are pictures of the physical damage that Lorena sustained. Jana also testifies that Lorena would come over and she would see strangle marks on Lorena's throat, rug burns, bruises, scratches, scrapes, all of the signs of abuse. A co-worker at the salon, Bobby Joe Lore, said that one night John got upset with Lorena when they were out because someone else looked at her from across the room. And that's somehow her fault. He yells at her and grabs her arm and starts jerking her around. And this is in front of other people. This is what he feels entitled to do publicly. One neighbor testifies about overhearing the noises of Lorena being chased around the apartment and beaten. And this is actually the neighbor that Lorena went to after one of the nights that John had raped her. This neighbor is the one who gave her those pamphlets on rape and domestic abuse that were found in the house because she had also been abused by her husband. That's a good neighbor. Another one of Lorena's co-workers testified about seeing John punching Lorena, hit her, leave bruises on her many, many times, inside her legs, the back of her arms, on her face. And there are so many people testifying about seeing bruises, scars, abusive conversations concerning interactions. Lorena testifies about John choking her, how he would shove his thumbs into her windpipe and cut off breath completely. And neighbors say that they would notice sometimes when she was leaving for work, she really had the thick makeup piled on. And they know that means that she's covering up abuse. Most of the female neighbors in this complex talk about their experience with domestic abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, and some share their own experience of feeling that they had to keep it a secret. It was not talked about. Lorena also has to talk on the stand about John wanting anal sex and how she knew whenever he came home late and drunk that he was going to anally rape her. John would also brag to those two younger guys he'd play basketball with, John Capoa and John Whitaker, and they testify that John talked openly about enjoying forced sex. He said that he liked to make girls squirm and bleed and yell for help, and that forced sex turned him on, especially forced anal sex. And they say he was serious. 
he told these people this and they still hung out with him after yes and these are two younger impressionable guys they say he was serious this was not locker room talk he was not just exaggerating to be cool they really know that he was telling the truth john whitaker says he saw his mom getting abused spit on smacked around and mistreated and when she would go to call the cops her partner would punch the phone through the wall so that she could not john whitaker says quote i swore i would never have no female ever feel that way under my arm i would never want to see a female feel the way my mom felt ever but you still let lorena down though if you were having these conversations yeah, so you know this is happening to her and you did nothing lorena has to testify about being anally raped and it is awful for her to have to talk about this publicly, especially when you're raised religious and you don't talk about sex ever. And now you have to testify about this. And people, like the whole nation, basically. Internationally. Yeah. She talks about John grabbing her and violently raping her without any lubricant and how she actually was injured and bleeding badly afterwards. She is so upset testifying about this. She can barely get the words out. It's so emotionally hard. She says that every time that she and John had sex, he would threaten her saying things like he wants anal sex and Lorena wanted to try to stop it from ever happening again. She is literally having a full-blown panic attack on the stand trying to talk about it, hyperventilating. I do not know how you could watch this testimony and say she's lying or she was never abused. Like it's painful to watch. John gets called as a witness so Blair Howard and company can attack his credibility, which is already paper thin. John says he never hit or struck Lorena. He never forced her to have sex ever. He says, yeah, I shoved and grabbed her many times. And sometimes I would hold her down, but I never hit her. Just push her and hold her down and restrain her from hitting me. And I would always tell her, hey, I don't believe in violence and it's not ladylike for you to strike out at me. Huh. Okay, John, okay. John Wayne Bobbitt, I want to tar and feather your ass. Like, I can, there's not a medieval enough thing that I can think of for you. We have to come up with something new for him. John is confronted with a form he filled out and signed at the Quantico Marines with the family advocacy group there. And when they show him the form, he says, oh, I don't remember this at all. I've never seen, I, I don't know. It's a questionnaire where John admits to hitting his wife. Hmm. Blair has him flip to the last page of the questionnaire and John finally has to admit, yeah, that's my signature. John is also called out on pleading guilty to assault and battery in the past. And he says, oh, I didn't plead guilty to it. I just, you know, I denied what she, what she stated in this year. I didn't do nothing. I didn't hit my wife. I didn't do anything. She just said that, which is again, not true. You fucking pled guilty. Yeah, you, can't, you have to check the box. You have to agree with the prosecution and the defense. Everyone has to agree that you're going to plead guilty. Come on. Whoever this director and these editors are shady queens because immediately after this footage of john testifying they cut to footage of one of the officers who had responded to one of the domestic violence calls testifying yes john did in fact plead guilty in this case <laughs> <laughs> good, good 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 another officer testifies about responding to the house on a night that john had been drinking very heavily john denies being drunk this night john's never drunk okay john's never been drunk never. yeah no i can't get drunk i have a really high metabolism so like you just can't relate john denies ever talking about forcible sex he's literally lying just lying 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 to everyone strangely he can remember things that benefit him but he can't recall 
quite a bit of information. And the defense is catching him in a lot of lies because John has lied so fucking much and changed his story so many times. He doesn't know how to keep it straight. Good. This is what happens when you catch people trying to lie too much. Sometimes John is shaking his head and getting confused in the middle of what he's saying, which does not seem like someone incapable of lying to me. (laughs) The tide has turned. This time, John's walking out of the courtroom to booze, not cheers. And the news is finally coming around and starting to see that Lorena was a victim. as they should. Yes, exactly. There's this huge record of abuse in this marriage and all of these people coming in to testify about it. And now next up is going to be establishing the possibility of temporary insanity. Dr. Evan Nelson, a state forensic psychologist, assesses Lorena. He says it was clear to him immediately that Lorena had been badly abused by John. Legally and mental health wise the question isn't if she was aware of what she was doing the question is if she was aware of what she was doing but incapable of stopping that impulse so that's that irresistible impulse in the middle of lorena's trial what they called skategate happened <laughs> tonya harding, harding yeah. nancy kerrigan lead pipe to the knee uh, yeah that It was, again, a lot of interesting things happened in the 90s. The Menendez brothers trial is going on at the same time. So those things take over in the press a little bit, but there's still intense interest in Lorena's case. This kind of tabloid TV courtroom news has really just kicked off, and Lorena's story is the perfect one for this medium. Everybody feels really strongly one way or another, and CNN actually cut away from the trial to talk about coverage of nuclear arm talks with Russia and people got v upset about it. People were angry <laughs> yeah. that they cut away from the trial. Don't you dare interrupt me right now. So fucking American. We have so upset that I would call someone at that time. Like I know you did not just switch off of this. This focus to like get the scoops, get the edge, get the news, that's really still going on. And Carlos, our journalist friend from before, says there's a perception in newsrooms that the people there are smart enough to weigh the pressures of competition against the ethical considerations at play. However, the pressures of competition will always win. And I agree. I think this is one of the reasons I decided not to pursue journalism. I did go to college to be a news anchor, and I ended up doing radio and loving that too. But there is a ton of pressure, especially in TV, about appearances and getting the numbers and getting the interviews and getting the clicks on the website and getting the headlines, all of that stuff. And I just wasn't really built for that. Mm Lorena has hundreds of reporters following her everywhere, like paparazzi chasing Britney Spears style. Alan Haig, Mr. PR, says that Geraldo Rivera was the most obnoxious of everyone. He would literally push people out of the way. He would try to bulldoze over people and just get at Lorena. Lorena says that Geraldo would regularly send her pictures of him that he had autographed. Honestly, that fits the bill of who he is as a person. He's still like that. And he's always calling and trying to get this interview. Just like a dog with a bone. He will not leave it alone. Alan finally has to tell him, you need to fuck off. I am not giving you an interview. Just go away. (laughs) After this, Lorena remembers driving in a car with her lawyer and Geraldo and his camera crew are driving right next to them. He has a crew of 10 people in vans running red lights, trying to get their attention, just doing anything they can to get some good footage. They get back to her house And then Geraldo walks up to the house with cameras and starts looking in the windows of her house, filming through the windows of her house. Back the fuck off. What are you doing? Crazy invasion of privacy right there. 
it's so much pressure and intensity and anxiety. People are hounding her whenever she leaves the house. All hours of the night, people are banging on the door trying to get her to come out and say something. And she just wanted to go home and hide. She says when she was done in court, she would just go to her room and sleep. And that was it outside of her time being in court. Lorena's testimony and everyone else's has pretty much proved the abuse, right? There was multiple witnesses, but mental health is just not understood in the 90s. It's really difficult thing to prove, and juries typically do not believe any defense based around insanity. Juries traditionally are very skeptical of that. Because a lot of people like to fake it, so a lot of people now doubt it. Right. The defense starts calling the psychologists and all of the doctors that they can to talk about the mental impacts of this type of sexual and physical abuse. Dr. Susan Feister testifies that Lorena had told her over the spring of 1990 she was constantly being verbally abused. She loved John. She still wanted the marriage to work out despite all of the abuse. And Dr. Susan says this is very common for victims in these type of abusive relationships. Lorena was raised Catholic, very religious. So that plays a big part in her needing this marriage to work out. She wanted to be married for life. She always wanted that. She never even considered divorce a possibility for her. And she was a virgin when she married John. She had planned to give her whole life to him and be with him forever because for her, divorce is a failure that is not acceptable for her. Lorena testifies in 1990, she found out that she was pregnant. She had stopped taking birth control because she really wanted to become a mother and have John's child. And she also hoped maybe if we have a baby, John will change. Today, she says she was so happy. This is the family she's always wanted. It's the beginning of a new life, a new family, a fresh start, maybe without violence in their relationship. And it broke my heart to hear her talking about this. John testifies, I don't know anything about her being pregnant until one day she came home from work and put a bib on me and said she was pregnant. I was kind of shocked because I wasn't ready for something like that. And I told her we weren't ready for children. We were just getting settled. We didn't have money. We didn't have financial security. John today says, well, she was from South America. She didn't really have what it took to live within her means. She wanted too much too fast. Ah, okay. That's how are you somehow implying racism because she's from South America and she wanted to improve her life what <laughs> uh just when you when you, when you like it broke my brain like what <sighs> and John. living within her means means also supporting you for the record that's is that what you're talking about her paying all the fucking bills is that living within her means doing all the work john what are you talking about dr feister testifies that john became enraged when lorena told him about the pregnancy he immediately starts telling her you're going to be a terrible mother if you have this baby i'm not going to help you i'm not going to support you at all and basically he tells her you pick me or you pick the baby oh that's always so polite and nice to do to a lady and doesn't at all cause her any emotional distress or long-term mental harm not at all you fucking bastard john testifies that a friend of lorena's had a couple abortions and told hey it wasn't that bad so then we both agreed that she would get an abortion very matter of fact no big deal just this is just how it is lorena today says john told her you cannot have this child and you're gonna go and do what bad girls do he took her against her will to an abortion clinic and the whole time they're waiting for her to be seen he's telling her the needles are gonna be so big you're gonna get put to sleep forever it's gonna hurt so bad he's really scared her as she's waiting to go in absolute fucking monster Lorena is crying and shaking so much having to listen to this verbal abuse that a nurse actually comes to take her away from John 
Thank God. They also give her a sedative before they start the procedure. And Lorena feels incredibly guilty afterwards. Not only did she not want this and has been forced into it, She's super religious, and this is a big no-no never for most Catholics. Yes, this is a huge no-no. She's sick for days afterwards. She's weak. She feels hopeless. She feels like life is over, and she says she was falling apart. Dr. Susan and Lorena both testify about some of the ways John would verbally abuse and degrade her. He would hit her with all this racist abuse. You're Spanish. You don't deserve me. You're ugly. You have a bad body. You're stupid. You can't speak English. And Lorena starts to internalize this abuse. She starts to believe that she does not have worth. She's unattractive. John is the only one who's ever going to want her or put up with her. And every single time they argue, John threatens to take away all of her immigration paperwork. So he's threatening her with deportation mm-hmm. and saying, you don't deserve to be in the United States. See, man, go to counseling. Go to counseling, man, so you don't turn into a dude like that. The local Hispanic radio stations pick up on the case. And when they start broadcasting about these racial abuse things that John was throwing out like candy corns, the Hispanic population gets very invested. They see a woman in their community being threatened and abused, and they start to bring more attention to the case in a way more respectful manner. A local activist calls into one of the radio stations and says, we should get a support system going for Lorena. She's alone in this country. She's been abused and nobody's really showing support for her. Hundreds of people start showing up every day outside the courtroom to show support for her. This is a big deal because Manassas is not accessible by public transport. And most of the Hispanic community showing up does not live in Manassas. They live in D.C. or Maryland. So people are organizing carpools. People are taking the train and then taking cabs. And Gladys, the activist who had organized everything with the phone call, ended up catching a cab to Manassas from the nearest train station in Virginia. She realizes halfway there she doesn't have enough money. She only has five bucks cash on her and she freaks out. She starts telling the cab driver, I'm so sorry. If you can tell me how much it'll be, I'll figure it out. And he tells you, I'm just going to take you there for free. My mother was abused by her partner. Then this groundswell of support and understanding is starting where previously there was none of that for Lorena. It's the middle of January. It's freezing. It's snowy. It's icy and miserable. But this group of supporters is going strong every day, every fucking day when she enters and leaves the courthouse. They're there cheering for her. Legitimately, I started crying. Just the news pans over to a shot of her inside the courtroom and she sees them for the first time with their signs and everybody is cheering for her and it's the first time since the wedding pictures with john in the whole documentary that she looks happy Lorena today said she will never forget that feeling and how much it meant to her to have that support. Lorena testifies that in early June, she decided this is enough. I want a divorce from John. She gets a tape recorder and starts trying to make recordings of the verbal abuse to bring to a divorce attorney. Smart lady. John finds the tape. Ah. He hits her, slaps her, he pulls her hair, and then he rapes her. And Lorena says that if she resisted being raped, John would then threaten... I'm going to anally rape you. Lorraine is terrified of him. And he tells her, I will follow you. I will stay outside your job. I will find you anywhere, anytime. Basically, this you're mine, I own you disgusting mentality that he had. Lorraine is living in hell. She's ashamed. She's scared. She can't really talk to anybody about it. And the only time she has peace is when John is out getting drunk because 
he's not home. She's not being abused. But then the second he comes home drunk, it's going to start again. Her anxiety is so high, she can't keep food down. She can't eat without throwing up. She can't sleep. And her health is falling apart from all of the stress. In 1993, over 2,000 women were killed by intimate partners. There are no federally funded shelters. There's no hotlines. There is no support for women experiencing intimate partner abuse whatsoever. Forget men and the queers. So there may be some individual state support stuff, but there is nothing across the board as a country. Self-defense has never been applied to victims of physical abuse before, but this concept of a battered woman's self-defense is evolving. Traditionally, self-defense is only applied to defense from imminent attack. You're hurting me. You're going to kill me. I can retaliate to stop that from happening. But now this is starting to be stretched to include, I've been repeatedly abused by someone who potentially is coming back to attack me again. They might kill me this time. This is my only shot at self-defense. And one news broadcast is like, yeah, it, it could even maybe be compared to PTSD. Yes, because that's what it is. Yes. A lot of people assume PTSD is just something that only soldiers can get. No, it's when someone's been through something extremely traumatic and it has long-term effects. When I got my PTSD diagnosis, I said, I'm not a soldier. I haven't been to war. Like, this can't be right. My doctor's like, you don't need to go to war to be traumatized, my mm -hmm. friend. The more you know. The understanding now of abusive relationships and the escalation of abuse has changed. We know a lot more. There's a lot more information. Most women are killed in the process of leaving their partner or within six months of leaving. And that is exactly the time frame that Lorena was trying to leave when she cut John's penis off. She was pursuing a divorce. I said, yeah, no, that's just one of the most dangerous times to be in. Like a lot of people think that once you leave, it's over, but that is just sometimes the beginning of things. Lorena does request an order of protection on June 21st, 1993. She went to court. There's documentation of this. She reported that John had kicked her in the stomach, punched her all over the body, and then strangled her and raped her while she couldn't breathe. They tell her to come back in three or four hours or come back on Wednesday because the secretary is out to lunch right now. Oh, okay then. <laughs> Lorena cut off John's penis on Tuesday in the early hours of the morning. Okay. okay. Yep. yep. Okay. Lorena had just started the process of moving out. She had moved some things to a neighbor's place and essentially she was only really sleeping at her place with John and trying to slowly get out. Diana Fletcher, one of the neighbors, testified that Lorena had told her John had raped and beaten her and she was tired of this abuse. And Lorena also said that John always came and found her whenever she tried to leave him. Mm. Lorena did not appear to be vengeful or mad at this time, just really upset. And Diana today says, I really wish I did more to help, but there's not much more I really could have done. Diana's made peace with the fact that you have to want to leave and you have to get to that breaking point in your experience where that's it and you can't go back at all. And Diana says Lorena ended up going back home that night and then the next night is when it all happened. Yep. Damn. Lorena ended up that day going to work. Everything is fine. John calls her and says that he's going to go out with Robbie, John's friend who was living with them at the time, Robert Johnson. John again says they went to a few clubs. He goes over the B-52s. It's a candy shot. It's not a real shot. Mm -hmm. Everybody calm down. Okay. I'm not drunk. Still insisting just the two B-52s and the two beers all night. And he says, we weren't drunk. Nobody wants to drive drunk. Because John is never drunk, as we've established. Never, ever, ever. Not in his entire life. He's too good for drunk. Not even once. John is built different when it comes to alcohol. Never could alcohol touch him in a way to make him drunk. 
I used to say all the time, oh, I have two hollow legs and brag about how much I can drink. That's not a thing that people with a healthy relationship with alcohol <laughs> brag. Like, that's not a thing. Coming from two people who it, that's not a much. thing. That's not, that's not, right. that's not it. Robbie gets on the stand and testifies that he had five beers and one B-52. And then he says John had the same amount as me to drink, except he had an extra B-52. Well, now, why are we just taking away from the fact that B-52 is, in fact, alcohol? Like, why? why would... John, you keep saying candy shot, and it's just a fucking shot. Like, I don't think you understand here. <laughs> just because it has a flavor doesn't mean it takes away from how much alcohol is in it. It is a shot. Rob says that he definitely felt drunk and they drove home anyway. John had said that they got home around 3 a.m. Lorena woke up when they slammed the door on the way in because, of course, these drunk assholes have to make all the noise in the world. She just tries to go back to sleep. John says when he got home, he just fell right asleep. And then he woke up an hour later and Lorena was laying on her back. He says, I remember touching her and rolling over on top of her. And then I rolled right back off and went to sleep. I don't remember anything else happening after that until I was just laying on my back. John on the stand is asked if he had sex with Lorena that night. And he says, well, I really don't know, sir, if I did or not. Just so tired. Just so tired. Yeah, I too have had days where I'm so tired where I forgot if I had sex with someone. Mm -hmm. So tired. I was in a drunken stupor. That happens to you all the time? All the time. Lorena says on the stand that John pulled down her underwear and climbed on top of her. She woke up and she was trying to figure out what was happening. He grabbed her wrist and held her down. She realizes she can't breathe. His chest and his right shoulder are blocking her mouth and nose. She asks him, what are you doing? He doesn't say anything. And she tells him, I don't want to have sex. And he rapes her anyway. She's trying to cry, but she's still struggling to breathe because he has like his full body weight on her. And she's shaking and crying, talking about how John was hurting her. You can see she's transported right back to that moment in just the way she's presenting. She says it feels like her vagina was ripping or something and she says i can't describe it but a man cannot understand how bad this hurt me she asked john why he keeps raping her over and over and over and he just shoves her away and she's heartbroken when she describes him telling her i don't care about your feelings john is the devil john is just the fucking worst John today says that Lorena tried to initiate sex and he didn't respond to her. And then she had to start talking about her feelings, saying, oh, you hurt me. And I didn't respond verbally because I was exhausted. I don't know why she didn't know. I was so dead tired. I couldn't understand or react to any of her advances. And again, dead tired is just fucking wasted, like just for the record. For I was shmammer-bammered blackout about. Real loosey-goosey. Lorena today says she just fell into this numbness and she wanted to tell John, just kill me, whatever. I'll just die. Like, that's better than this. I just want to get away from you. She doesn't remember getting out of bed. She says she kind of felt like a zombie. She remembers going to the kitchen, trying to get a drink of water and just calm down. The light from the fridge illuminates a knife in the kitchen. And she just starts remembering everything. The rapes, when they were at the clinic and John was saying, these abortion syringes are going to go through your bones. You're going to die. All of the physical abuse everything but she does not remember cutting john lorena today describes getting in the car and everything was in slow motion it sounds to me like she's describing disassociation she knows she did this thing but it's like autopilot mode that she just clicks into yeah there is a certain panic that comes when things like this happen like i remember one time i had a really big emergency situation happen where like someone was like dying in front of me and i could i like i knew what i was doing but i was also not really there right 
great. You're just going through going the motions. Going through the motions. And also you don't really think too logically, which is why it makes perfect sense to me that she like walked up off into her car with a knife and a penis in her hand still. <laughs> the next thing she knows, she's in the car trying to drive away, but she's still holding the knife and the penis. Like, yeah, come on, guys. Like, people who are in their right state of mind at that very moment don't walk around with severed penises in their hand. She can't figure out why she can't make the steering wheel work. And then she's like, oh, shit, my hands are full. Like, that's literally how she describes it. I have a penis in my hand. She just tosses the penis right out the window. She sees that she's at the nail salon. She has no idea how she got there or why she went there. It's the middle of the night, like early hours of the morning. She tries to open the door and she can't get it open. And And it takes her a second to realize that she still has the knife in her other hand. She throws the knife in the trash can next to the salon, opens the door, walks into the salon, and finally feels a moment of peace. She finally feels, okay, I'm safe. She deserved that moment. Clay, the jury four person that I hate, says that he found this very not believable. That she would only remember the kitchen and seeing the knife and then forget everything else that happened after that. Clay also says that Lorena should have considered medical school because the penis was cut surgically. <laughs> okay, um, all right. <laughs> and they show more penis pictures. Fuck, more surgical penis pictures. You know, this also could be a very large advertisement for that specific knife company being like, look at how high quality our knives are. It only takes one slice to cut off your husband's penis. Oh my God. <laughs> clean enough to get reattached. <laughs> so cleanly. Dr. Susan testifies on the stand that Lorena was suffering from PTSD, major depressive disorder, and an anxiety panic disorder at the time that she cut John's stick off. Mm. All of these lead Dr. Susan to believe that Lorena was not in control of her actions at the time. John had psychologically closed off every escape route for her. He told her it didn't matter if she left, he would find her, the abuse would continue, he would continue to rape her. Dr. Susan says that Lorena became psychotic and attacked the instrument of her torture, John's penis. Dr. Susan also says Lorena's behavior was consistent with the legal definition of irresistible impulse. Dr. Evan testifies about Lorena's statements at the hospital, and he says... When Mr. Bobbitt did what she perceived was a rape, that was a challenge to her sense of control. And I believe she got intensely angry. She's when she perceived ah when she perceived it. I mean it I mean it was literally happening to her. She is the person that there needs to be in order for things to be consensual, both people must consent. Okay. This is not some crazy wild concept. Consent. I mean, everyone has to agree, no matter how many people are there, one people, two people, everyone has to agree. Yeah. I, like, what? You you mean when she perceived her rape as a rape, she got upset? Is that what you mean? Dr. Evans says today, of course, Lorena could have walked away or called the cops or anything, but she chose to get a knife and go back and cut him. He does not believe it could have been insanity, temporary or otherwise. Police have been so helpful. Every time she's ever called the police, they've been super helpful to her, right? It's worked out really well mm-hmm. all of the mm-hmm. times. Another state psychologist testifies that they see no evidence of a psychotic episode. So those are the people testifying that are helping the prosecution. John is a Howard Stern regular at this point. So he's calling into the show all throughout Lorena's trial and they're having these great conversations. And Howard says, quote, hey, I figured it out after all of Lorena's testimony. She just really wanted to hold on to you. And then he says, you know, I I don't buy that John was raping Lorena. She's not even that good looking. She's got a lot of pimples. Her skin doesn't look good. She needs some vitamin bobbit. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's what makes people do things to other people is what they look like. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, no, no. My instant response to anyone 
then trying to say rape hinges on someone being attractive is like, what about old people and babies? Yeah, if there's justify that one to me. All different kinds of people out there that happen to. It's all about power, not about what someone's looks. Like it wants someone wants to control you, exactly, and make you feel a certain way. John in today's interview says that he broke up with Lorena and she was hurt, and she wanted to hurt John, and that's why she did it. John, <laughs> John's a dirty, dirty liar. The depth of the denial is unrivaled. Well, I did hear someone say once, if you're going to lie, you should just stick with your lie forever. I have said that on this podcast before, actually. (laughs) Yeah, you got to commit to it forever, no matter how stupid it sounds. That's what has to happen. I think for John, it's not a lie. I think he really believes his own shit, which is a special skill. He's stupid enough to manipulate his own brain into thinking that's what actually happened, yeah. Regina Keegan, who is by all appearances a wealthy white woman, testified... She was a client of Lorena's at the nail salon just in the days before Lorena cut John. She says that the manicure she got that day was very bad and her eyebrows were uneven. (laughs) Regina talking about the whole interaction today says that she called Lorena Lena by mistake and Lorena just didn't even correct her. Like just went with it. Yeah, yeah. Lorena pulls up her sleeves to start to do the manicure, and Regina sees that her forearms are completely covered in finger mark black and blue bruises. Regina gasps, and Lorena pulls her sleeves down very quickly. She looks up at Regina, and Regina says her heart just broke. And today, talking about it, she's crying, talking about the look on Lorena's face. She watched Lorena have a panic attack throughout the course of this manicure. Regina asks her about the bruises and Lorena looks at her and says, my husband hurt me. In our apartment, he was going to drop me over the railing on the balcony. And he said, if I drop you, I'm just going to tell everybody that you jumped. Regina is horrified. She tells Lorena, you need to leave. Do not go back there. And starts talking about some resources and some places that could help. And this causes Lorena to become even more terrified. She starts shaking. She is saying, I can't go with you. I have to go home. And Regina's like, please just come with me. Come to my house. I'll keep you safe. Sweet, beautiful angel, Regina. Lorena says, I can't go with you. He'll kill me and he'll kill you for helping me. He's going to come after you. Got some tough ladies out there, though, that will look out for each other. I will take that risk. It shows how hopeless she really felt that she didn't believe at all that she could go. Yeah. Regina hugs her and she says it was like hugging her little daughter because Lorena was so small and Regina didn't want to leave. She was terrified for Lorena and thought about it a lot afterwards. Pretty soon after her neighbor had mentioned something happened, this crazy lady with a knife and Regina didn't really read the paper or watch TV. She's one of those people just doing their own thing. So she didn't really know much about the Bobbitt case over the summer. Five months later, she sees the news and sees John's trial on TV. It's day two of the marital sexual abuse trial. Then she sees Lena, who she knows, walk across the screen and she doesn't know what to do. She calls the courthouse and Paul Ebert picks up the phone, the DA. She tells him what she knows about this interaction with Lorena. And Paul Ebert says, son of a bitch. If I had this, I could have nailed that bastard. I'm so sorry I can't use you. The trial's already gone to the jury. Oh, no. Yeah. 
Paul Ebert decides to give her Blair Howard's phone number. He showed up for Lorena so incredibly hard in this moment, even though it hurts his case against her. Ebert decides not to cross-examine Regina. They just kind of share a look. It's like that meme of P. Diddy and the guy in America's <laughs> Got Talent where they're just like looking at each other. They have a moment like that, and then he does not cross-examine her, and she's dismissed. The doctor that the prosecution had been relying on to testify about Lorena's mental state suddenly changes his testimony after Ebert has him meet with Regina. So another way that he showed up to help Lorena out. He reads quotes from his conversations with Regina on the stand, and he now agrees that Lorena does have PTSD. So now the state experts are starting to split. And it's really looking like people are starting to realize what's actually going on. Lorena is thinking during the trial, this is it. My life is over. I'm going to jail. And she's just praying the evidence is enough to show the truth of what really happened. Now it's time for the closing arguments. And Lorena just has to trust that the lawyers are going to do their best to try to save her life. Mary Grace O'Brien closes for the prosecution. And she says this case is about anger, revenge, and retribution. That this was a calculated act of revenge. Quote, you've heard a lot of talk about psychotic behavior, PTSD, battered women, all this psychological jargon, almost with an eye roll tone. She says, her husband came home, he was drunk, he wanted to have sex, she didn't, he forced her, and she took revenge. It can't be excused, condoned, or justified. I greatly disagree. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I don't, <laughs> you you lost me. There's a lot of justifications, excuses, and condoning that I can do in this kind of situation, I guarantee it. Blair Howard's closing talks about a woman's body being her home, that the most intimate contact a woman has is with her soul. And to rape a woman isn't just a violation of the body, it's a ravishment of the soul. It is a direct attack on the emotional structure that holds a woman together. He outlines all of the abuse and how it led Lorena to snap. And when you're in an unhealthy state of mind and abused for years, is there really a question? Lorena obviously needs help. She's been completely stripped of her dignity and her self-respect. You, as the jury, can help her. Lorena deserves justice. Very powerful. The jury deliberates, and they find Lorena not guilty of malicious wounding by reason of temporary insanity. Good. Someone screams in the courtroom with relief as soon as this gets announced. And everybody outside that's been showing up to support Lorena is crying. It's just this hugely emotional moment. And Lorena is so relieved. Clay, the four-person I hate, says that he felt Lorena was guilty, but he was outvoted 11 to 1, so he just gave in. You know what that usually means is you were wrong? Like, sometimes that means you were wrong. Really wrong. (laughs) Really, really wrong. Legally, if you really believed she was guilty, then you should have done a mistrial. Just legally, I'm pretty sure that's the rules, but I'm not in charge. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't run things here. After the verdict, the judge says Lorena will be remanded into custody to the state mental health facility. Lorena does not understand this because they just said not guilty. Like, what do you mean? The lawyers say that she did know about the outcomes, but Lorena says she was in total shock. She didn't realize that she was going to have to serve time in the state facility, and she is going to have to serve a 45-day sentence there. She's going to be evaluated over this time as well to determine if she can be released at the end of that time. 
people are very split about this case. John got fucking nothing and a Howard Stern penis phonathon fundraiser and Lorena has to be held for months. The Bobbitt family are v upsetty. They all insist that John did not rape or beat Lorena. And John today says, oh, I was shocked. I lost a loved one and the person who did it got away. Your loved one and your penis? You lost, you lost your, your penis is your loved one, really. Really. It- okay. Yeah, okay. He says, you want to seek revenge. You didn't get justice, but there's got to be a way. John, you want justice. Mm. You would like justice. I have ideas. I have a lot of ideas. Let's meet. We should come talk to you about that. (laughs) (laughs) Lorena is afraid of the hospital. She's picturing what she's seen in movies, like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and all of those kinds of things. It's a maximum security hospital, so it feels just like a jail. All the patients there are treated by a psychologist and a psychiatrist. And Lorena says everyone there knew exactly who she was. The unknown is really scary for her. She does not know what to expect. She's still really young, and this is just very overwhelming. The media starts flying helicopters over the hospital. They're trying to send her flowers at the front desk. And it's very intrusive for the rest of the patients there and impacts the hospital's operations. They have to change the way they do things. At one point, Barbara Walters stormed the jail and was demanding an interview. All right, Barbara Walters. Barbara said, quote, I interview kings, I interview presidents, and you're not going to tell me I can't interview Lorena Bobbitt. Barbara Walters is a bit of an icon for anyone who doesn't know. She's been around forever. Barbara Walters gets what she wants. This is 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Lorena doesn't want to do the interview. And the jail calls Alan and asks him, what do we do? He tells them, go out there and tell Barbara she's not getting this interview. She can call me directly. A few minutes later, she calls him. He keeps her on hold for over an hour. (laughs) Power move. Petty legend. A month later, she asks him, why wouldn't you let me have this interview? And Alan says, well, you're part of the Illuminati. You're part of this trilateral commission and you're a feminist. I don't want Lorena to have anything to do with any of that shit. Okay, all right. He wasn't holding it down for the right reasons then. I would have been like, because she doesn't want to do that. Really, we're just going to pull out the Illuminati. We're just going to pull out conspiracy theories now. I literally scared my dog off the couch by being like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? Illuminati. Well, you're part of the Illuminati. And a feminist. mm talk about the feminists he just started with a big boom just coming in hot with the (laughs) illuminati the media still fixated on what lorena did the cutting and not necessarily about the background of this abuse so even though people are more sympathetic there's still this fixation on john's dick and a lot of the media is portraying her as this vengeful scorned angry woman it's really a slap in the face to all victims in my opinion the editors of all these media outlets are mostly white men and they don't really care about domestic abuse they don't care about covering it and a lot of them don't even believe it's Uh real so true john is still living his media lifestyle fantasy he starts making appearances. They actually show one at a gay club where John did a strip show and was there to judge a Lorena lookalike contest. Is it legal to hold these contests? Don't don't you have to like people's consent to do that to use their likeness publicly? So the news coverage says that the people competing in the contest were transvestites. Mm. I am not sure if they were trans, non-binary, or just drag queens or somewhere within that spectrum. I don't know. John also sold his underwear to the highest bidder and gets into a little banana hammock on the stage. Gross. 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 Well, after this, John decides to launch an adult film career. No. No. He's got to prove that he can still have sex and that his dick doesn't leak. 
is what he said. Oh my god. They call his first film John Wayne Bobbitt uncut. I hate all men. I hate all men. If you thought that you couldn't hate John Bobbitt more, just wait. This movie is based loosely on John's life, and there is an adult film actress playing Lorena. All my vomit. Again, is that legal? Is that legal? Can you do that? This has happened a bunch because I remember someone made like a Sarah Palin porno when she was running for president. Yeah. I there's they must have legal loopholes to get around this stuff, but I just can't imagine like how you could do this. But again, John's a gigantic piece of shit. Just can't forget that part. Aaron Gordon, John's manager, says that he knows this film is gonna be a smash hit. Everyone wants to see John's penis. Even if they don't usually watch adult films or pornog, they're gonna buy the VHS and they're gonna fast forward to the moment that John gets his dick yeah, out. It's it's mostly for curiosity, if anything, they are correct about that. Also, shout out VHS and fast forwarding to the part. My that God. Was, that, those were the times. Those were the times. They have a full Hollywood screening for this movie and trash rapist Ron Jeremy is there. One of the doctors says, well, I was really happy to see my work was good. Everything was working. Jesus. Jesus. Oh. oh. So people watch this publicly together? Uh, I don't know about that. I'm assuming the doctor watched it in the privacy of his home, okay. own home, refusing to say the correct okay. words for penis and vagina. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. John is very into this idea of being a rich adult film star. He actually doesn't really make a lot of money, though, and he ends up having to declare Chapter 11 bankruptcy. <laughs> this includes the hospital bills and the legal fees. So he doesn't have to pay those now correct oh so he just gets away with everything basically then cops respond to a domestic violence call between john and his current girlfriend surprise surprise oh what a surprise in court john says well i'm innocent it wasn't that i wanted to hit her she was actually hitting me oh just just like your ex-wife deflect and deny John is sentenced to 60 days in Clark County Jail in Las Vegas. Hmm. Lorena, for most of her time in the hospital, is still really scared. She has all these awful memories coming up, and she still really feels like John is just waiting around the corner to grab her everywhere she goes. She didn't realize that this is PTSD flashbacks. She thought, these are just nightmares, and I just need to get my shit together. She did not want to be put on medicine and she did not want to be there more than 45 days so she's really like me to me we got to get this shit together we got to get our poop in a group we got to go i don't want to stay here let's act calm get through all that without any any medication in only 45 days that is just raw dogging your ptsd and trauma one of the state doctors says that a core tenant of somebody going through trauma-related therapy is to talk about the trauma, and nobody really understands why that works. People repeating things again and again can make it easier, and then the more they can flip it over and look at it differently and understand things differently. Lorena, when she starts talking, realizes that she wants to keep talking about the abuse. She is now realizing, I'm facing a different obstacle and challenge in my life her religious beliefs take her and so she's trying to go on a spiritual journey fight ptsd heal herself fight against what she just went through find a way to still go on and still be alive and live in the world and she realizes like even though i'm locked up i'm still alive And so she starts counting the days till she gets out. By 1995, John is still living out in Las Vegas. He is a celebrity still for beating and raping his wife. 
He's super famous. Like everybody knows his name and his face and what happened, but he can't figure out how to keep the money rolling. He decides to become a Vegas minister and starts officiating weddings. What is this? What in the, what in, what? This is a roller coaster of just defense, just weird things. I'm about to tell you the part that broke my husband's brain. John goes on Howard Stern with a doctor and announces that he is going to be getting a penis extension surgery. Um, okay. So what I do know about that is in order to do that, they like cut the tendon underneath. It like can increase the function of having erectile dysfunction by like 65%. And you only get like this much more. Like it's not worth it. They're talking on Howard Stern about their goal of adding length and girth. And Howard Stern and Robin are like, oh, so interesting. It's just... (sighs) It's so terrible. It's so terrible. (laughs) They ask him, are you nervous? Like, this is your dick that got cut off and sewn back on. Like, aren't you scared to mess with it? And John says, oh, no, I'm not nervous. This is a great doctor. He makes an adult film called Frankenpenis. And in this film, they show the operation while they have him under Wow, wow. Okay, that's just horrifying to me. Okay, that's fine. All right. We're going to do for a little bit of shock factor. I see. Okay. Finally, the universe is going to throw us a bone because this surgery is botched. Ah, see, I knew it. All the doctors who did the penis surgery on the TV show that I watched said not to do it because it's not worth it. Everyone who was skeptical of this being a good idea because, you know, your penis previously separated from and then reattached to your body like mm. Mm, all of those people are right there's a ton of lawsuits going on against this doctor like all of the other adult film stars that john was friends with who also went in for the surgery and his license is suspended john today wasted says all i needed was a good manager like rocky balboa rocky balboa was it okay you know what? it's oh. fine this is real life though John. John, let's let's bring it back down to earth, John. The court finds that Lorena is cleared for release and she is officially done with her sentence. Jana is there to hug her and Lorena has a press conference and they ask her, what are you going to do now? And she says, well, I already went to McDonald's, so I guess what's next is Disney World. <laughs> she is shining. She's smiling. She's so alive and so happy. And you can really see it. One of the reporters says, you have changed so much in a, a month and a half. And Lorena says, I really feel like a stronger person. I feel like this was a learning experience for me to become more mature. One reporter says, how do you want men to feel about you now that this is all over? And Lorena says, I just want men to give women more respect. Like, it's very simple. This is not a hard concept, sure. (laughs) Lorena, when she's released, decides that she wants to set a new goal. She wants to get back into life and just start to heal. And she wants to go back to work and just set up, you know, her new routine. By 1998, John is in Carson City, Nevada, working at the Bunny Ranch. Oh. If you watch Cat House on HBO, you know what this is. It is a famous brothel. Mm. Dennis Hoff, the owner, is there. And even fucking better, legend, icon, queen, Air Force Amy (laughs) is here. (laughs) Air Force Amy says, yeah, John was a really big name at the time. And Dennis started John out greeting guests at the door. So he'll be at the outside door to the Buddy Ranch. And whenever people get there, he's going to ring the buzzer. And all of the women will know to come down and line up so the guests can pick who they're going to be with for the night. That's great. Yep. All right. Great practice. People are shocked to see John because he's so famous. So they're there just thinking like, I'm here to pay to get my dick wet and like do whatever I want to do. And then John Wayne Bobbitt's there opening the front door for them and greeting them. Dennis Hoff admits to just being a media 
whore. Like he will do anything for attention. And that was his motivating factor for hiring John. We're going to get attention. I don't care if it's bad. We're still going to get attention. Legally, the Bunny Ranch cannot advertise in Nevada, but promotional media is fine. So the tabloids eating this up is even better for Dennis. Madame Suzette, who is the manager at the Bunny Ranch, says they tried to train John on the bar, but he was not good at it. He was really scatterbrained and really, really slow. Imagine that. (laughs) If he was behind the bar, a second bartender would have to be there to pick up the slack and actually do the bartending. Yeah, sounds about right. Then they try to train John to drive the limo. Air Force Amy says John did not understand the gravity of this job. If your job is to drive the limo, you drive it. You do not let some 18-year-old drunk girls drive the limo around for you. (laughs) Classic John. Just a classic fuck up. John was awful around the customers. And he seemed to believe that everybody who came to the brothel was there just for him. Which, again, the depth of the denial. Someone is here to get their dick wet, my friend. You You have nothing to do with this. Personality of who he is as a person, though. like He's very narcissistic. Yes. Dennis Hoff says John has two sides. One, a nice guy, very pleasant. And the other side, a stone fucking asshole. Mm. Carissa, one of the workers at the Bunny Ranch, says that John would become very abusive when he drank, physically and verbally. He had this favorite seat down at the end of the bar. And Suzette actually had to ban him from drinking at the Bunny Ranch because there were so many issues. Yeah, I would think that you would that would be one of the first things you would do to him because he, well, because, well, you know, he doesn't get drunk though, so... I'm so sober. (laughs) This actually turns into a huge blow up when she tells him this and John has to be escorted off of the property. It's almost like there's a pattern with John. Suzette fires him for the first time. And then a bunch of John's family members show up to Suzette's home and start threatening her that she better let John come back to work. Or what? (laughs) Or what are you going to fucking do? Annoy me to death? What are you going to do? Suzette said all of them pulled up at once like a posse. There was seven people, a bunch of different cars. John is with them and they're just screaming at her and harassing her. She ends up having to get a restraining order against John. Dennis Hoff still hires him back to the Bunny Ranch because, again, you know, attention is good. John Wayne Bobbitt gets in trouble for stealing clothes from a store. He stole $150,000 in clothing. He then tried to return these clothes to other stores of the same chain for cash, and obviously they caught him. Wait, do you want to repeat that number to me? $150,000 of clothing. And what year was this? This was 98, 99, somewhere around So now that would be like $250,000 worth of clothing? How do you steal that much clothing? I assume it was like luxury stuff, right? Like expensive jackets and stuff like that. What, in t-shirts? Like how the- I used to be klepto when I was younger and I stole a lot of things. And even though I stole so many things, like it was still like $5,000 at the most. And it was like, that was years of things. Like how do you get away with that? Luxury items are usually very closely watched and like monitored. And I think he might've had someone on the inside. But the store catches him because they know the numbers on their inventory, blah, blah, blah. Good. John's 32nd birthday is coming up. And Dennis says, you know what? We should throw him a big party. Let's have a big media event. Let's make it a whole thing. Suzette bakes a cake with a knife in it and has like red frosting is decorating the blood drips. But John didn't show up. John had skipped out on his bond after Dennis Hoff had put $10,000 up towards his bail. Oh, wow. John just says fuck everybody. John doesn't care about anyone but John. 
for real. Me, myself, and I, bitch. Yeah, that's it. John is MIA. Nobody knows where he is. Lorena gets interviewed on ABC News by Tom Gerald. He says, well, neither you or John were found guilty. Was there no victim? Were you both victims? And Lorena says, yes, we were both victims of a tragic situation. Tom says, so was this a crime? And Lorena says, yes, there was two crimes. What, what I did and what he did. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, what, what are you talking about, sir? <laughs> did you live through the same year that I just lived through? Like, what? We're in the same universe, right? Lorena is working with her agent to try to sell the rights to her life story. So they want to do either a TV special or a movie, something to actually tell the truth about her life. And according to the agent and Jana, this would set her up for life. And Jana has kind of taken over this role of being the middle person and connecting Lorena with these opportunities. And this is where Jana goes wrong. Lorena did not know when she was signing these contracts that Jana convinced her to sign that Jana would be getting 15% of her money. Oh. Kind of a thing you should discuss and not just like bury in a contract and convince your friend to sign. Lorena feels so betrayed by this. Like, Jana has been her only friend and confidant through this whole thing, and now she's stabbing her in the back for money. So Lorena completely cuts ties with Jana. That's so sad. Jana, you could have, you could have just, I'm sure she just asked her nicely. I'm sure she would have. Right? If you just said, hey, it'd be cool if you could let me get a cut for connecting you with these people or whatever. Or if you need money, like just talk about it. She's going to be having money soon, I'm sure. Jana, you already were rich. So I don't know what the fuck is up with you, girl, that you're like, oh, I need more money. Get a grip, Jana. Sell one of your nail salons and shut up. Did she have three? Three of them, so... (laughs) Yes. Lorena says, I didn't choose to be in the spotlight. It wasn't intentional. But for some reason, people thought they could make money off my story. I just want a simple life. I went through so much and I just want to move on. A woman named Desiree, who is not visible, like her identity is concealed. She's in the shadow, but they don't change her voice, which, (laughs) come on. She says she met John when she was 19 and she helped him to go on the run and get to Niagara Falls, New York. They had dated briefly before they ran off together. Desiree was a worker at the Bunny Ranch and they had been secretly dating. Mm. This is very against the rules at the brothel. Suzette says, if somebody comes and works for us, that girl's off limits. Like, we don't do that here. And Dennis Hoff says, it's like stealing from me. You might as well reach in my pocket and grab out a few thousand bucks. Dennis Hoff, businessman for life. He said, not in my house, not in my bunny house. Correct. Not in my cat house. Desiree drives John all the way to Niagara Falls, back to where his family is. And when they get there, John tells her, I actually have no money and I've been living paycheck to paycheck. Could you help me out with some money? No. And this poor 19-year-old girl sets him up in an apartment, knowing full well that she lives across the country. She's paying his rent and traveling back and forth to see him and go home. And they do this for a couple years. She comes back to make sure that the apartment is just going to be in his name instead of both of theirs because they've been having some struggles and it looked like things were going to end. And she says John lost it. He beat her with everything he could that wasn't nailed down within the apartment. He dragged her out onto the balcony and pushed her over the edge. He was dangling her by her legs. People outside see this and John pulls her back up and throws her into the bedroom. John ties her up and repeatedly raped her vaginally and anally and started telling her you're my Lorena now neither she nor you or anyone I've ever been with will ever escape me 
I see. So we're just admitting to everything now. Okay. I just... John keeps Desiree in the apartment and tortures her for three days straight. Eventually, she decides to play dead, and John can't tell if she's still alive, and he unties her. He starts gathering up all the sheets and blankets in the apartment, and Desiree realizes he's going to try to wrap up my body. And no one called the police when they saw her over the balcony. No one, like, gave them a little ring. No one was like, hey, no, okay. No. Yeah, all right. When she sees, like, she's totally untied and John is distracted, she runs towards the door and she's able to get out and run away. John is arrested on November 2nd, 1999. He's 32, dating a 19-year-old. John was charged with harassment because Desiree had only reported being pushed against the wall, which is pretty common in domestic abuse reports. A lot of times people will try to downplay it or make it not as serious. A SANE exam isn't completed, but the prosecutor knows about John's history of violence, and she does not want to give John a plea deal. Thank God. Mm -hmm. They find out that an 11-year-old was homesick that day, and he had heard noise in the hallway. He peeked outside and saw John dragging Desiree down the hallway. This gives them the evidence they need to convict John, and he does spend time in jail. John today still insists that he's never used violence against another person in his life ever. And again, the filmmakers fucking drag him and flash headline after headline all of his guilty pleas throughout the years. Just every single thing. John says, I'm sure plenty of women have been abused by men, alcoholics, and abusive guys, but some of these women are just opportunistic gold diggers that use you as a stepping stone to advance their career. Just like an immigrant that marries a guy and it's not working out, so they do the same thing as the gold diggers. John, you're not that special. You're not, no one's after anything you have, John. John, you take from them. You, you, you're the gold digger, John. I was going to say, what motherfucking gold do you have hidden away, you leprechaun? What are you doing? You're jobless. They were supporting you. Like, what? You're you're begging for money for her to pay for your apartment. What do you fucking think they're digging for? I can't. Digging for garbage? Digging for trash? Is that what you mean? <laughs> Dr. Evans says that abusers don't often recognize themselves as abusers. They have a distorted set of ideas that what they're doing is justified, or it's not that bad, or the woman is exaggerating. And this very much seems to be the case for John. He gets married twice after Lorena, once to a woman named Dottie Brewer, and once to a woman named Joanna Lee. Farrell. In 2003, John is arrested again for battery against, I believe it was Joanna. John says, well, these women know their backup is to use law enforcement to their advantage by saying, oh, if you leave or if you fuck up this relationship or you don't get my citizenship, I'm going to call the cops. No. You keep mentioning the citizenship. Is it the citizenship? Was it you wanted a divorce and she didn't want a divorce? Was it she want to have sex? You don't want to have sex. You are having orgasm. She's not having orgasm. Can you just break that down for me real quick? It keeps changing. It keeps changing. It is absolutely fucking disgusting to me, the platform that he was given on a national level for so long and how easy it was then for him to go on and abuse more women. Mm -hmm. Exactly. In June 2005, John is recorded saying to a lawyer in court, if I can prove she got me in trouble, could she get in trouble? The lawyer then asked that the victim be thrown in jail for contempt for lying about being abused. Like the audacity. Wow. John says what his second wife did to him was worse than what Lorena did to him. It was devastation. He was in and out of jail for 10 months. And then another 15 months afterwards, his probation was revoked. Good. 
John says he was attacked in prison. He was attacked quite a few times and told, you don't hit women. Being a well-known person in jail makes you a target automatically. And John is actually being held in the same place OJ is held. So there's a lot of high-profile people in this jail. My man, Bernie Sanders, jumps on the scene on C-SPAN, and he is passionately arguing for the Violence Against Women Act that Joe Biden had authored with the Republican counterpart. This bill is $1.8 billion meant to go to federal funding to combat the epidemic of violence against women. The Violence Against Women Act told police that domestic violence needed to be taken seriously and that it is a crime that needed to be addressed. Prior to this, the cops were giving people the little timeouts that we talked about before. This bill was passed, but then Newt Gingrich took over the House and it becomes Republican. The Republican-controlled House refuses to allocate the money for the bill. Yeah, sounds very familiar. They've done this quite a lot. Women start gathering and organizing publicly in Washington, and a ton of public pressure is applied. In 1995, the act finally gets funded. In 1996, Amelin has a house party, and they invite Lorena and her family. The party gets loud, and around 1 a.m., the cops show up. Lorena's father says, hey, let Lorena answer the door. Her parents are very giddy and excited that Lorena is sort of famous. They kind of get a kick out of it. Lorena said that she and her family went through quite a lot. After her trial, her family came to the States from Venezuela to help support her. They didn't have legal status to work here, though, and so Lorena felt like she had to help and support them. All she really wanted to do was go back to school and get a job and just try to regain some normalcy. But her family didn't know how to handle what all had happened, all of the abuse. And there's just a lot of tension. So they fell out for some time and weren't in contact. Lorena today says she knows they wanted to help her, but they did not know how. About a year later, Lorena starts going to shelters and talking about her experience as a victim. It was really hard, but she learned that the stories of other women are so similar. She starts to realize she's not alone, and talking about it more is healing her and making her stronger. And Lorena decides to become an advocate, which is so fucking amazing. John lives in Las Vegas still. He has a Trump license plate. Shocking, right? Shocking. He says he can relate to Lorena because his mother went through the same thing. So you are somewhat admitting that you did abuse her by saying that you can relate to what she went through. It's so fucking backwards. John says his dad was abusive and it was a very angry home. His uncles would come beat his dad up for beating on their sister, his mom, and then eventually his dad left. His mom had a mental breakdown, as he says, and couldn't take care of her children. He also says they lived in the ghetto and they were hated there. They were attacked regularly by African Americans for being the only white family in a black community. My ass. I have a feeling it's because you were an asshole, not because you were white. I was going to say, I don't think that an entire community of black people would attack you out of nowhere for no reason. Just like I don't think your dick would get cut off out of nowhere and for no reason. All these things just happened to him. John also says his mother was raped twice and that he was attacked and injured as a kid. Their house was burnt down and his uncle ended up coming in to save them and adopting him and his two brothers. They grew up with their cousins, so it's six boys in the house growing up. John says he didn't really see his mother too much after that. And then John very casually mentions that his uncle was a pedophile who abused him and some of his cousins. He says they were all young and alcohol was involved and, you know, some of us just got molested. That's exactly how he puts it. Well, okay. Well, we now have the full picture of this whole family. They all suck. Yep. It's awful that you were abused. It does not excuse anything that you did or anything that your family members did to try to help you cover up your abuse. 
Lorena says her path to the American dream had a lot of bumps, but nothing was going to stop her from getting it. She goes to college and she meets David, somebody that she becomes friends with at first. And then over time, they start dating. Lorena says he always showed her kindness and loyalty, which are really, really important to her. Eventually, they fall in love, they get married, and Lorena has a baby with David. So Lorena does get to be a mom. Happy ending. Good. David says he always was in awe of Lorena. She's just in her 20s managing to make time around going to school full time to also go to women's shelters to help women and children as much as she can. She adopts families and buys Christmas presents and just really wants to help women and children. She's a dynamo. She gives women help and hope. She's an active member of her community. And she says that she sees the media as a double-edged sword. She knew what she was getting into going on to Steve Harvey in that clip from the beginning. She knew she was going to have to put up the jokes and the grass on the penis and all the other stuff but she wants to be able to get a platform and shine a light on domestic violence so putting up with jokes about her cutting john's penis off and throwing it into a field that's more than worth the price to her to be able to bring awareness to it she wants women to understand they're not alone and they can escape domestic violence and reclaim their lives again which is such a beautiful message Lorena today is shown flipping through a large stack of cards and letters that have been sent to her by John. I clocked the year 2017 on one of these postmarks, so this is still ongoing, very likely. Is that that allowed? Is that legal? Can you do that? There's stuff that he has sent her that she hasn't even opened. Like, it's just sitting in this pile. There are love letters and Hallmark cards about how much he misses her. She reads one out loud, quote, Dear Lorena, I miss you very much, and if there was a choice to have any woman in the world, it would be you. I love my wife. I love your heart, and I love you very much. From your cold and sensitive husband. Just wanted to let you know I thought of you, and you're in my dreams. Love always, John. John is, John is something else. Uh, Half past something. John is not living on this planet. No, he's not on the same planet as us. John is in his own reality. Yeah. Here's another one. Quote, Lorena, remember when you told me I didn't know how to treat a woman? You were right. I took a long, hard look at myself, and I think it has a lot to do with a cold-hearted, insensitive, self-centered combat warrior. That's the way I always felt. I should have been kind, caring, and sensitive, loving, unselfish husband that understands my wife. This one is signed, Your Eternal Flame, John. (laughs) Okay. You are the most toxic. You are the most fucking toxic waste. He has sent her over the years Valentine's cards, Facebook messages, messages to her old jobs, and he keeps following her digitally on whatever platforms that she tries to use. She does not understand it whatsoever. John has the nerve to say, actually, I think Lorena contacted me first. She wanted to know how much money I had, and I didn't really want to get into it. And so I, you know, I tried to reach out again after that foreclosure, but then she ignored me because there was no money. Well, there's receipts of this conversation. Lorena has a very long text that I actually paused to to type out so I could read it. Quote, well, if you look at it, a money standpoint, we would make a lot of money if we got back together again. And especially if you had a baby, there'd be a lot of people out there that would love to exclusive interview with me and you, and they would pay a lot of money. I would just see that mean having to communicate a lot. Not like I before when we really didn't communicate at all. I have bad husband. I know, but I'm not that now. I wish I was the kind of man I am now to you when we were married. I guess I wasn't ready. I guess I didn't try hard enough to make 
make a marriage work. You know how it was back then. Now you know how I was then. I was wrong. I shouldn't have worked at the club. I should have gave you more love and attention. And I did. I did really love you. You were so beautiful. And all you wanted to do was be a good wife and mother. You are the best woman I was ever with because you really loved me. I know it wasn't just for the citizenship. Dear God. Uh, also, this reads that you're drunk, John. Yeah, he, that that's just, he's just drunk all the time. John says, quote, me and Lorena getting back together, that would be the ultimate love, the ultimate forgiveness. We sit down, we go over everything we went through. We say, you know what? We were young. There's a lot we didn't know. Bury the hatchet, so to no. speak. And then he laughs and I fucking cursed my TV out for like 10 minutes. I was so livid about this. Lorena says, quote, I don't know why he won't leave me alone. I cut his penis off. I mean, just leave me alone. <laughs> She literally could not be any more clear. Right. Air Force Amy has the last word in this documentary, and she says, quote, they can cut a million clits off in Africa and you don't hear a word in the U.S., but cut one dick off and the whole fucking country stops. I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> that is an accurate statement. <laughs> She is not at all wrong. So Lorena today, she's really healthy and happy. She has a great life. She is a wonderful mom. She does advocacy work. She still is going, doing media appearances and trying to bring awareness to domestic violence. And I think that's a really beautiful outcome for this story. John obviously is garbage. I actually told Mike, I wish she never fucking gave the dick back. I wish she never told them where it was. And I wish that he just had to live his life as a eunuch. That would have probably prevented a lot of bad things that he did. I'm just, like, if he had just not gotten it back. The white policemen, they needed, they needed to get that for him just because, you know, they had to. John, you wanted justice, right? Because I strongly feel that you being a eunuch is a beautiful form of justice. justice. Oh my god. As I told you at the start, try to close out on a positive note. Why don't you shout out like your handles and stuff and then tell me something that made you happy this week or like a song you're listening to or both. Whatever. Okay. Um. Well, ever since my page got banned, my new TikTok is called really ZL the homie. My YouTube is just ZL the homie and my Instagram is ZL period the homie as in just an actual period not the word period and i will link all of those in the episode description too so people can find you a song that i've been listening to that people would like this week is earth boy it's a fun and positive song who's it by by tony 22 my thing that makes me happy this week, I just had a really big job interview and I am super, super hoping that I get the position. It seems like a really great fit for me and I seem like a good fit for them. So here's hoping. Everybody who is writing emails or sending DMs, it means so much to me and I just love you all so much. Everyone that's listening, can't believe that you want to keep listening to my voice and come back every week. So thank you for doing that. My two songs this week, I have been listening to Literal Legend by Aisha. Nicole Smith just every morning. It's like my new wake up song. And the second one is called Serotonin by Girl in Red. It's so good. It really speaks to how I feel about having bipolar disorder. And it, it's just an awesome song. So I will link those also in the episode description. Z, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for giving me five hours of your life to record. I really had a blast doing this. I hope you enjoyed thank it. Thank you for having me. I'll totally come back again. We can talk about a bunch more stuff. 
Awesome. I will get in touch the second I have a case for you. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. It really means more than you could know. And I just hope you know that I care about you a lot and that there are people out there who are going to help you through tough times that you might be having, even if it doesn't feel like that right now. Let's stick it out. Let's just stay alive, right? That's a good way to close things out this week. If you like the podcast, I would love if you would go ahead and leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Please check us out on Instagram at Monsters Walk With Us, all one word. And I'd love if you could send us an email and tell me where you're listening from, maybe suggest a case. The email address is hidden period monsters period walk at gmail.com.